Hello, welcome to another episode of SG Explained. I'm Rovik. Hey, I'm Elliot. What's up, guys? Uh, glad to have you all back. Uh, sorry for missing on last week. That was a pretty uh, punchy episode. We were talking about the gig economy and freelancers and self-employed people. Yeah. Actually, Elliot, theoretically, you would fall under that category, you know, because you're a business owner who is self-employed himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I'll get, I'll, I'll get around to listing for about that episode, man. Yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> but for what, for what you told me just now, I, it looks like I'm really missing out by not tuning in. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot in that episode. I think we really unpacked. But Fantastic. you know, COVID nineteen has definitely given us a reason to explore a lot of topics, including today's one. Yeah, uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about urban farming, or in other terms, sustainable farming here in Singapore. So uh, you probably knew this from clicking on the show title itself anyway. But, but uh, yeah, I, this is something which I started to discover very recently. And uh, I have a few friends who actually volunteer uh, for some of these places where they are looking to build what we call uh, urban communities for uh, local produce. So they go around, you know, you sometimes have community gardens and whatnot, then you start growing, I don't know, like you know, Thai sim uh, or uh, simple leafy vegetables. And uh, you kind of share it with everyone. That's pretty cool. I, I'm learning about this like just probably like last week or something. Well, I live in Clementi and we have a community farm right below where I am at. And I'm not, yeah, I'm not too sure who actually are the people involved in cultivating the crops there, but the crops are there and they are growing very bountifully. So I'm always very surprised by the effort it takes to do such things. And, you know, it's it's in the middle of a HDB area where it's just surrounded by blocks. There's no actual farmland per se. Uh, and so Singapore has really taken a new look at farming and agriculture here. I think some of the more popular crops are definitely stuff like your chilies, onions, you know, stuff that's easy to grow and highly in demand for simple cooking. Yeah, hopefully hopefully by today's episode, um, based on on our research, I can share with you guys, not just some tips, but also places you can find out more about how to um, do sustainable farming on your own. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that we don't know about the agricultural scene in Singapore since we more or less abandoned it uh, quite some time ago in favor of you know uh, importing our most of our nutritional needs so without further ado let's jump right in Rovik I hope you're excited to hear um, a brief history of our agricultural scene in Singapore and how we got to where we are today I'm always excited, Elliot. <laughs> All right. So uh, our, our history actually with uh, farming in general, agriculture, was all started in like 1987. Okay. You have to remember the time, 1987, we've already reclaimed some, some land, but not everything is done yet. Uh, and we've already, you know, gotten into the swing of being a, a powerhouse economy. This is an upswing for Singapore. Since 1987, I think there was only officially about... 2,075 farms in the country and they will cover approximately 20 kilometers square of land. It's really not that big, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's really not that big. So you can only imagine the amount of produce that we were uh, creating at that point in time. And this is actually, if you think about it, it's in very recent memory, right? 1987. This was before a modernized development. Like we had Orchard Road still doing agricultural orchards. And these things were slowly disappearing because of our modern development. So I'm going to fast forward all that to 2016, where reportedly Singapore 
produced around 22.5 thousand tons of vegetables, while we actually consume about 524,000 tons of produce on the whole. So as a proportion, that means it was only 4% of our needs. What we were growing at that point in time was only 4% of what we actually needed. Yeah, that's four years ago, right? Some good news, however, uh, was that according to the Singapore Food Agency, who will appear several times in this episode, 77% of our local leafy vegetable farms accounted for 14% of our total consumption last year. And we have these three handshell egg farms that made about 26% of our total consumption of eggs. Also, we have a fish farm, or we have a lot of fish farms actually, and 112 of those fish farms contributed about 10% of our needs. So still, not a crazy number, but these are growing. These are growing numbers, as we'll see why later on. It's pretty interesting. Do you know that we had 112 fish farms roving? <laughs> I knew we had fish farms. I didn't yeah. know that we had 112. But I am not surprised that out of the three that you mentioned, leafy vegetable, handshell eggs, and fish farms. Fish farms are the most common because we are on an island and we probably have more coastline than anything else. So I think that's probably an advantage. I also think, you know, what's interesting about the numbers you just shared was that these three things were prioritized. They made the most sense in Singapore because they are essentials, right? Leafy vegetables, eggs, and fish. And and while each of those made were non-insignificant portions, so 10% for fish, 26% for eggs, and 14% for leafy, when you put all of those together, that's still only formed 4% of all our needs, meaning the other 96% are all these exquisite produce uh, that that Singapore yeah. ca- is not able to definitely get by itself. You know, whether it's tropical fruits from somewhere else, there's just a lot that we eat here. We have a very diverse palate over here. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Uh, our our dietary needs and nutritional needs here are very diverse. We haven't even talked about meats yet. You know, that's that's a that's a big part of what we consume as well. These numbers are actually from just last year in 2019. Pretty crazy if you think about how we are trying to get to a sustainable farming, but it doesn't seem like it's enough at the moment. Obviously, you know, for all these farms, you might not have seen them because they mostly take place in like the countryside. And I'm putting this in air quotes, so dear listeners, I know you can't see this, but mostly in the countryside region of Singapore, where the farms are located. So your Lim Chu Kangs, uh, where the smell of goats permeate, basically. Have you been to any of these farms? Yeah, I filmed a show at one of these farms, I think in 2017 or 2018. Yeah, Uh, there's this show that I did called Intercept. I was doing a cameo role for this show called Intercept. And one of the scenes was the the bad guy throws me into a barn and ties me up. And I think I'm supposed to die there. A spoiler alert. Sorry, guys, if you were (laughs) going to watch it. But yeah, uh, they tie me up. And I swear, as I was sitting in that barn shed, I could smell like all the cows and all the goats. And they left me there, you know, like during, you know, in between takes normally like, you know, as a talent, you get to go walk around the set. Nah, nah, nah. They just let me, they type me there and say, okay, uh, we just wait until your scene is shot finish. I thought you were going to say that your cameo was of an animal, like a cow or something. <laughs> I was hoping for that. I was hoping for that, but they didn't give it to me. That's the unfortunate one. I auditioned for it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so most of these most of these farms, like they all are on the countryside, so you wouldn't see them as commonplace. But this episode, I'm going to like change the perspective a little bit more. 
and I'm going to show you some of the farms that are closer than you think they might be. Yeah, so Rovik, Rovik knows a few. I've listed a few in our, in our show notes for today. And it's going to be pretty interesting if you guys, if you guys know any more than we, what we have, you can let us know uh, via our socials. I imagine that with the 112 fish farms, there's going to be a lot that we don't cover today. Last we checked in 2014, after all the, you know, urban redevelopments, all the urban planning that we've gone through, only about 1.13 kilometers square of land is allocated for vegetable farming like right now it's very little not fantastic but still at least we're keeping some part of that land the big thing here is that when it comes to allocating land for food production in Singapore it is really not from an export perspective we're not really trying to compete with places like Malaysia and Indonesia to export our regional produce I think a lot of it is to have a level of food safety, right? By having a buffer of how much food we actually depend on other people, then we can also make sure that in a crisis like COVID-19, we end up with sufficient food in the buffer stocks so that we can actually supply for ourselves. And a lot of that means being able to produce for ourselves without having to rely on external parties. Yeah, absolutely. And just put things in perspective, not that I'm saying it's a good or a bad thing, but agriculture in Singapore, is responsible for less than 0.5%. Uh, some experts say it's about 0.3% of our country's gross domestic product as of 2017. That's the latest statistic I could find, which is actually very, very low. I like generally, if you guys know things about economics, our C part of the, you know, the economic equation, the consumption part, it's already very low for us, but this is an even smaller amount. It is crazy. I, I know that there are a bunch of restaurants in Singapore that prioritize sourcing from our local farms. One of my favorites is Labyrinth that is in Esplanade. They are very particular about sourcing from local food. Their food itself, their dishes are mod sin, right? Modern Singaporean. And so well, one of my favorite things about going to eat there is that they give you a map and they tell you each dish, which part of Singapore it came from. And you can see all the farms around Singapore all the fisheries around Singapore where they've actually been very intentional about sourcing and getting these produce. From this restaurant, I got to see actually the diversity of stuff. You know, even though it's a small overall set of produce, it is still quite diverse, right? So if you didn't know what we primarily grow in Singapore, some of the things include fruits. So we have durians, rambutans, mangosteens, which now that I hear it is not that surprising because those are highly demanded Singaporean fruits. I almost see them everywhere in fruit stalls. There's also edible fungus like mushrooms. And there are farms in Singapore that produce eggs, vegetables, poultry, and pork. So there are some chicken farms, there are some small pork farms. And again, these don't really form a bulk of our overall consumption, but they are there to add to our food safety. So flowers are a big thing actually for us uh, in Singapore. Uh, and this is one of the few things that we locally grow and that we export to other parts of the world. That to me is, is interesting. And uh, I, we consider this actually when you talk about like GDP, this actually is included in what we consider to be from the agricultural sector. So flowers grown in Singapore, um, usually we export to places like Japan, the US, Australia, uh, some parts of Western Europe, from what I understand. And can you guess which is the, the flower that we export? It's probably a national flower, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the orchid. Yeah, that's right. So we, we, we have, the I guess, like the biggest... A number of farms you have here, we have 153 orchid farms. 153? That's 
a lot more than I expected. Yeah, 153. So, you know, we were talking about what's really driving some of this pickup in demand and what is food safety and what is the concerns. As a point of context, right? So on 5th June 2020, the Singapore Food Agency announced that domestic Singapore consumers will eventually be able to buy wholesale seafood at a single location at some time in the coming years with Jurong Fishery Port and Sinoco Fishing Port being consolidated by 2023. I haven't been to these fisheries. I've heard that Jurong Fishery Port does do a pretty cool midnight tour. So if you yeah. go, yeah, if you go at midnight, this is when most of the fish that are being caught start coming in and you actually get to see. And at the end of it, you also get to buy fresh fish that normally go to restaurants or wet markets actually you get to buy it from from the original fishery as soon as it comes in so i have this i have this great anecdote that i can tell you uh based on my own junior college days when we were in uh, mjc photography club that we had this annual trip and we would go down to one of these fishery ports and jurong was one of them on the list but every year we would bring the juniors to go there and take photos as the fish were, were just about to come in. And it's really interesting because these fish are alive, like the prawns are alive. Every piece of seafood that you see there, they're still so much uh, filled with vitality. It's scary because, you know, you hardly ever see that anymore, but it's really cool. You will not be able to find these things in like your regular supermarkets. You think about the size of prawns and how much you're going to pay for them. It is, this is a, it's a trade secret, but it's so much cheaper there. And I'm talking about like 50% kind of cheaper. Absolutely. I imagine, you know, when people think of Japan, they think about some of the fish markets that are there. There's a famous one in Tokyo. I remember going to the one in Osaka as well. And Mm -hmm. the, the produce there is fresh. It's cheap. But then when people think of Singapore, we forget that we also have similar fishery pots that also do cheap and bountiful produce that people can just go and buy. They should definitely do like a barbecue style thing in in Jurong. That's that's an enterprise model. So when I was in London, there was this place called Billingsgate Fish Market. And, you know, typical Singaporeans, me and my friends, we actually rented a car. It's a zip car back there. At around 3 a.m., they came and picked me up at 3 a.m. We went to Billingsgate, which is maybe half an hour east of the main city, Zone 1. This was a gigantic fish market. Actually, surprisingly, most of the people who were there were also Asians. <laughs> so it was either restaurant <laughs> tours. It was either restaurant tours or Asians. And everyone was just buying fresh produce and much cheaper. And what I liked about it, you know, just connecting it back to what we were just talking about, what I liked about it was that there were one or two cafes. And again, these were actually designed for the people selling the produce, right? Not really for people to necessarily come and buy and eat food there. It's really meant to be a breakfast right. option or lunch option for people who were, who, was, who were working there. But they had this amazing scallop butty. And for people who don't know, a butty is like a kind of sandwich. And it was phenomenal. Right, and it's fresh scallops that they just got from the market. You know that that is the beauty of a fish market, and actually the beauty of farms in general. Right, like it's not just about produce for the market and produce of food safety. It's also these amazing ecosystems where you have someone who's giving you the produce, someone who's cooking it on the spot, and you just get to be happy to be around such a, a vibrant environment. Yeah, absolutely. Just recently, uh, the Singapore government announced this vision called 30 by 30, which strives to have like 30% of our local nutritional needs 
to be cultivated in Singapore by 2030. Remember just now I mentioned like we were like 4% Rovic? Yeah, now we're looking to strive to be 30%. And that, that's in like 10 years time. Yeah, that's almost seven to eight times a current amount. Yeah, it's a huge demand that they're going to try to fill, especially because, you know, recently we've heard of stories about panic buying and uh, the fear that we might not have enough in, in the case of a pandemic, we can't import or export uh, goods. This is something which should generally help us feel more self sustaining i'm a big fan of it i think especially with what's happening today we are seeing the need for sustainability and food safety not just from a volume perspective meaning that as much as the world in general can continue producing food they can also decide to use our scarcity as a reason to up the price and that ultimately will be something that we don't want because Mm -hmm. we want to be able to have not just access to food but access to food at sustainable prices and so this this dynamic is important to maintain and a big part of that is having food safety in our own ability to produce for a certain amount of our needs sfa a singapore food agency so they have announced this 63 million dollar agriculture productivity fund okay and i'm not sponsored by them to tell you guys this but i think it's really really cool um, because we want to find ways to not just you know keep ourselves uh, creating food but also ways to modernize and you know make things innovative. Uh, our biggest problem is land scarcity as itself. So we have to find ways to expand its growth without needing more land, the one thing that we can't have uh, enough of. So within this fund, what they're trying to do is that if you're, if you're one of those farmer dudes, um, you can actually tap on the basic capabilities upgrading scheme, which is to help you support the buying of equipment uh, that aids in farm productivity, manpower savings, resource savings, uh, there are other ways in which like the productivity enhancement scheme and this is mainly used to do with automation uh, one of the big things about modern day agriculture some of our listeners who I mean I don't, I'm not sure I'm just assuming things but we're not going back to you know taking a rake or a tractor and running along a field kind of thing like some of the ways in which this productivity enhancement scheme is working is stuff like hydroponics aeroponics we've had that for a long time but now we're finding new ways uh, to do a lot of things indoors as opposed to outdoors which very very cool in my books uh and the last and the last part of the scheme for the uh agricultural productivity fund is just cash flow they have this cash cash advancement scheme that helps people with you know up to 30 percent of their own cash flow problems so a lot of a lot of money if you think about 60 minutes not it's not little it's a lot of money to go into making sure that we're going to be okay we're future proofing ourselves for for whatever food challenges we face down the road. Yeah, I think a lot of people who hear this may think that when we talk about increasing our agricultural proportion, we're talking about getting people to go back and being traditional farmers who slog underneath the sun. Actually, that is a very fastly changing dynamic. A lot of today's farms are run with a heavy use of technology. In fact, agri-tech is a growing space if you were to go and google you know what is the the annual growth of this industry agritech is one of the fastest growing spaces you have stuff like hydroponics you have stuff like drone based monitoring so that actually a farmer may not even need to go onto the ground everything can be done by robots by automated systems as long as you just create the technical infrastructure in place everything can be done and then all that needs to be done is to harvest and then sales so technology is actually changing the space a lot it also does create some sort of a inequality 
quality question, which it's always something we can tackle as part of a broader conversation, because those who don't have access to capital, those who don't have access to technology know-how may struggle with this, especially if they've been farmers from way before, right? But schemes like this, like what you were just sharing, the Agricultural Productivity Fund, really helps to help level the playing field by giving you access to not just funds, but it also connects you to people who, who can help you with some of these solutions and helps you actually improve your productivity as well as your ability to use technology. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's just so it's so heartening to see that we actually have these kind of uh, initiatives. Later on, I think I'll kind of like build on this to show how Singaporeans themselves and businesses have grown into into actualizing this dream in places that you'd be surprised. Yeah. So on that note, why don't we take a break? At SG Explain, we hope that you discover other podcasters in the Singaporean scene as well. Check out this one from our friend Rindo. Hello everyone, my name is Rindo. I'm an Indian expat living in Singapore and I'm the host of the podcast Living It Up in Lion City. In this podcast, I sit down with friends, both local and foreign, and we talk about stuff around culture, around history, and about life here on this little red dot we call home. Sometimes I also do long, monotonous essays on things like lion symbolism, xenophobia, and why quoting Disneyland with the death penalty every time you talk about Singapore doesn't really make you sound smart. If you're into that kind of thing, check out the podcast Living It Up in Lion City on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the popular podcast platforms. All right, we're back from the break and let's jump into SG Explained. I wanted to take some time now that we've understood a little bit about the agricultural landscape uh, of Singapore. I made this list of places. The first one on this list is an organic farm that's been around for quite a long time called Trend Farm. It's one of the older ones uh, from what I understand. And it's it's not super exciting, just that they have uh, they, they provide a lot of organic vegetables here for us in Singapore. Uh, you can actually go on like full tours, touch, taste. Like there's a guided tour where they show you the entire process from like farm to table. Yeah, I, I mentioned touch and taste, right? So that means there's some makan lah you can have after that <laughs> to, to, to see how it's like. So uh, pretty yeah. cool. If you guys are interested, it's at a 35 Murai uh, Farmway. This is near Limjukang, unfortunately. Actually, Murai Farmway is home to a lot of farms. So... One of the cool things to do, it's almost like doing one of those. I don't know, if, Elliot, if you've gone on uh, winery tours in you know, places like Australia or California. But yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's, you definitely exactly. don't just do one. You go to one, you spend some time. You go to another, you spend some time. So actually, Murai Farmway is a similar concept. I think a lot of them would require you to make some advanced booking. So definitely go check either on Facebook or their websites how their procedures are. But it'd be very cool to go visit one and then go to another, and if you, especially if you want to do a diversity. I've personally been to these places only because I was a Boy Scout. And, you know, oh. yeah, so either because of the hikes where you'll have to go in some of these places in order to get some footage or just pure extracurriculars, right? They will take you there as a part of understanding Singapore's ecosystem and the different players and the economy and whatnot. Right. But it was always very fun. It was always very cool. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, farm crawl. Personal note, bring a lot of like mosquito repellent or insect repellent. Helps a lot. Uh, Absolutely. That's just my two cents. Yeah, my two cents. <laughs> yeah. Uh. yeah, so the next place is a place called Citizen Farm. And in 2016, Citizen Farm decided to occupy an old abandoned prison 
out of 60 Jalan Penjara. And they branded themselves as having a closed-loop farming system. That's pretty interesting. So the three keys are local community, food waste, and the production technology. The community generates waste, which then becomes fertilizer, fed into the tech, and then that provides nutrition for the community. So this kind of circular economy, circular farming is a growing concept. It's really a big push in the sustainability movement. And Citizen Farm is actually doing a lot of work in that domain to really prototype and model it for the rest. If you go to their website, you can see the initiatives, including growing microgreens, mushrooms, insects, and aquaculture. Citizen Farm has a lot of initiatives. Uh, thanks for mentioning them, Rovic, because one of the things that they strongly believe in is uh, providing for Singaporeans, right? Providing locally. And if you go to their site, I'm not paid in any way, shape, or form to promote this. Uh, and I think it's still ongoing, but they have this thing called Citizen Box, which is like subscription uh, food delivery. If you, if you think about it, they have they have a few like uh, different promotions uh, where it's like for $35 a week or $40 a week on a 12-week or 8-week subscription, you will get a cooler bag with like all these like fresh vegetables, kind of like farmers, like omakase style, like the farmer's choice kind of like, you know, uh, here are the best veggies hmm. from the week. I hope they actually celebritize their farmer a bit. I would totally want to have a daily or a weekly letter from like a farmer tan, you know. Today is yeah, farmer cool. tan selections. <laughs> yeah, I think it's very cool. What they're trying to do here is not just promote the fact that they are growing uh, fresh produce. Everything is packed, not just nicely and, and, and packed uh, aesthetically, but this goes a long way in terms of creating uh, a feedback loop where we are eating things which we know are homegrown in Singapore. Yeah, if you're a listener and you've been wondering how to out-hipster your friends, this is the place. This is it. So we just talked about Citizen Farm and you said that it's in Queenstown. Slightly unexpected but still understandable. Uh, the next one is actually very, very surprising. It's a place called Comcrop. And Elliot, can you guess where it is? I'm going to guess somewhere like maybe in the east, somewhere like, I don't know. No, this is, this is actually in the city. It is back in Orchard Road where, you know, you were saying Orchard Farms used to be. Uh, it is actually in Skate. So it is as hipster as it gets. Com Crop, it's an organic farm that has free tours on Saturdays for members of the public. But it's really focusing on urban farming in the absolute, you know, maximum definition of what urban means. <laughs> uh, and they actually yeah. are very smart in how they use their space and hydroponics technology. When people think of scape, they think of concrete, they think of, I, I guess, specific to scape people who are skateboarding and maybe some people are doing block shops and stuff like that. But you wouldn't think of an urban farm. The cool thing about this was that actually, you know, I go to scape quite often because like of shoots and whatnot. And I never knew that corn crop existed. It was only in my research that I realized, what? On the roof, there's actually a place where I can go and visit and see plants grow that I could potentially eat. That, that's crazy because from what I've read online, they actually provide, like if I've, they actually provide for some of the restaurants that function within Scape itself. So I, I'm here's a, here's a big a big brain thought. Okay? There's, this, there's this one Korean barbecue that's, at Skate right now uh, on the second floor I think next to Estens I wonder if the, the vegetable I used to like wrap my meat around is it from upstairs well if it is right that will blow my mind if it isn't okay lah I'm still very, I'm still going to eat at the Korean barbecue place it's really nice <laughs> 
but like that would blow my mind. I didn't even know there was a Korean barbecue place in. It's really good, bro. It's really good. It's really good. Yeah. What's really cool is that all of their food is free of herbicides, pesticides. They don't use GMO products or genetically modified products. Yeah, these guys generally like hit the top of the list in terms of places that are not just accessible. But if you go there, there's a lot more that you can do than just uh, look at the vegetables. There's like lessons, there's samplings. There, there are even initiatives that you can join in as part of like community service and whatnot. There's a lot that we can do to support some of these farms. And, you know, Elliot, you, you made a very good point. Beyond just supporting from the government level with some of these subsidies and programs uh, beyond overall consumption, I think a lot of what would drive these farms is the community engagement because farms have always been huge cornerstone of communities in the way that they produce food, in the way that they bring people together, in the way that they are part of the circular economy. And so engaging with the community that they are serving is a big part of what drives some of these places. And so us having our kids go there, us having our team building sessions there, all of these things actually play a big role in further embedding these farms into what it means to be a Singaporean. And I think, you know, as you explained, we always look at a lot of these different aspects. And while this may seem like a niche area, actually, I think urban farming and food safety is a fundamental core component of the Singaporean identity. It's it's underappreciated, but it's so important to how we survive. And I think that's more that we can do to support these farms in Singapore. Wow, could have said it better myself, dude. That was that was inspirational. <laughs> yeah, I I learned a lot, Elliot. I think as with every episode that we do, there's always new stuff that we unpack. And I hope that our listeners as well took away something here for what they can do for these farms moving forward. Yeah, uh, let us know, man. Like, let, let us know in the comments or in our DMs like how how else we can practice these things. We would love to share in a, maybe in a follow-up episode. One of the things which we've never really talked about is, uh, I guess, the possibility of all episodes to update ourselves with new information uh, on previous episodes. So if you guys have anything you want to share with us, please, please do let us know. We're always, we're two hungry dudes uh, hoping to, to learn more about the world that we live in. That should be the name of our podcast instead of, as you explained, Two Hungry Dudes. <laughs> <laughs> Two Hungry Dudes. Now then we'll just be competing with people like Seth Louis. You see, that's the problem. <laughs> cool. <laughs> He's just one hungry dude. Yeah. Uh, let us know if there are any other episodes you want us to do. If not, do share and subscribe to this podcast and all your channels that you listen to. All right. Yeah, without further ado, I'm Rovic. 